Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Here's the question I had for you, Joe George. If Michael Brantley came back around the, you know, after the All-Star break, maybe it's August, do you think that Michael Brantley would be a better offensive player than Chaz McCormick? Because if you're trying to move Tucker to center, whatever outfielder you trade for, and then left field Brantley-Yordan, if you don't think that Brantley's going to outproduce Chaz McCormick, why are you doing all of that? I think he could. It's just it's not a guarantee. Wait. Offensively, he's going to outperform Chaz McCormick, in my opinion. Michael Brantley, who yeah. hasn't played in over a year, that's coming off major shoulder he's surgery in his a, late he, 30s? He's still a professional hitter. I mean, okay. as much <laughs> as I know that there's reason for concern because Abreu at that age looks like that he can teeter with falling off the cliff. I don't think I worry about Brantley like that. Do I think Brantley's a home run hitter anymore? No. Do I think that he is still a, a capable of hitting close to hovering around 300 and hit the alleys and get some extra base hits and, and be a really good hitter in a major league lineup? Absolutely. I think that this is becoming, again, a story of a tale of two years. Again, when you go a year ago, you know what? You're going to have a conversation about the fact that what, what do you need more offense or defense? And you might be a little bit more worried about the defense. This year, there's no doubt the biggest concern for this team is scoring runs and, and offensive productivity to the point where I believe that you have to go all in on the offense. He, Michael Brantley before he was hurt. Michael Brantley before he was shut down with the shoulder injury, required major shoulder surgery, and is now a year older. Brantley before he was hurt last year, was a 785 OPS guy. Chaz McCormick right now is a 782 OPS guy. They're think- relatively the same when it comes to offensive production, and Chaz McCormick is a better defender than Michael Brantley's going to be. I'm not saying that Chaz McCormick needs to be playing over Michael Brantley. What I'm saying is you're not going to move Kyle Tucker to center field to benefit and to get Michael Brantley in the lineup whenever you have Chaz McCormick, who is a similar offensive player this year to what Brantley was before major shoulder surgery, just to get him in the lineup. I think that the fact is you have to see what you have in Michael Brantley, but you do realize that in situations, as long as he hasn't fallen off a cliff, that because of the length of Chaz's swing and sometimes his inability and struggles to be more of a contact hitter with control of the zone, I think that if Brantley is close to what he was in the past, he's a guy you trust more in the middle of a very potent offensive lineup if everybody else is healthy that can put the bat on the baseball, can do things. Sure, he can touch the baseball. Chaz ends up striking out a lot more. So I would have more confidence in a Brantley than a Chaz in situations where you need a knock or contact okay. or, or a fly. Do you think Brantley was going to have a below or average 785 OPS? He was a 785 OPS guy last year before major shoulder surgery, was a year younger. Do you think he's going to be better than a 785 OPS or worse than a 785 OPS? I think that if the shoulder surgery fixed whatever was ailing him, it might have been ailing him previous to this. I think that he was 799 and 21. Okay, well, I believe it's going to be... I think if Michael Brantley comes back, it'll be better. Lunch bet? No, because we don't know if he's going to come back or not. No, if he comes back. And we can put a plate appearance minimum on it to where there's no small sample size. We can call it 200 plate appearances. 200 plate appearances, I'll take the under on Michael Brantley, yeah, 785, I mean, it's you take, take the over. it's take a while to adjust back to Major League Pitching, so no. too. So, no, I'm not doing the lunch bet on that. All right. So, you're not very confident in Brantley having no, above I'm not, 785 I'm not very OPS. confident Michael Brantley's coming back, period. Right, but I was willing to put a minimum plate appearance... I know, but the first bet. part of that minimum plate appearance is going to be 
him getting trying to get readjusted to major league pitching. Fair enough. And I that's think that's going to be a problem. I think it's a good point. The whole like I'm and I'm not even trying to argue that Chaz McCormick is a better offensive player than Michael Brantley for the rest of this season. I'm saying it's so close that you're not going to take the drop off defensively by moving Kyle Tucker to center field so Michael Brantley can find his way into the outfield and then you're benching Chaz McCormick. You're not going to play this little, you know, revolving door where Tucker's in center field. They're not willing to use Tucker in center field. And quite honestly, let's have an honest conversation about Kyle Tucker, who's underachieved a bit this year offensively. He has not been nearly as good defensively this season as well. No, and again, I think he makes the 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 plays he's supposed to make. He never makes you go, oh wow! Like he cut a ball off in the gap and was able to, you know, get that. He's got a better than average arm. I think that he makes. I'm not trying to crap on his defense. I just think a lot of what he's rewarded for is just making the plays he's supposed to make and not making any gaffes while he's in the outfield. But I think he's in the right spot in right field. And I think in center field, with what we've seen of either center fielder and the way they are able to cover ground and can actually be responsible for saving runs, I think they're too important to think that at this stage in the game, you're going to sit both your center fielders down for Kyle Tucker. Now, late in the season, if your offense is still woefully below average, you might have to make... A, a, a change in your thinking, and you might have to try that. I think that moving Tucker to center field is unrealistic, basically. I think it's unrealistic. You think of the playoffs, Dusty might try and pull that out? I think World Series, if you're playing a National League team and you rewound the, the rules of a universal DH three years ago, because that's the last time Kyle Tucker played center field. The last time Kyle Tucker played center field was against the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta in a World Series that did not have a universal DH. That's the last time he played center field. He's not a center fielder. The Astros aren't going to play him in center field unless it's an emergency situation. That's what I was say. In an emer- if you're down in a series and you haven't been hitting the baseball, you might go desperate you know, measures, mean desperate moves, and you might put him out there. But I don't see Kyle Tucker as a center fielder. Yeah, I don't either. 713-780-3776. Back out to the HRMP listener line. Let's get Willie in here. Willie, you're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's up, Willie? Hey, all right. Say, so, uh, I was uh, listening to the game last night. And uh, I noticed a lot of people swinging early in the count. They don't work the count like like Mike does. Yep. That's one of the things. Uh, last year, you had four or five guys can hit with two strikes. These guys, they just swing at everything. And uh, I think they need Mike back to get a little bit more uh, in that second spot to break up uh, – uh, uh, Tubi and Dewey, because both of them swing at the first pitch. And if Mike comes back, well, you don't need another outfielder because you already said yesterday that you wanted to put Dewey in there. You ain't have enough room for him. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to trade for anybody. It would and, be uh, appreciated, uh, Willie. Thanks, Willie. Appreciate yeah, it. appreciate it as always. It would be you're you have some lineup decisions if you trade for a left fielder. Like Dubon, I want to play in left field with the current roster construct. Right, right, right. If you were to trade, and again, I don't think Jorge Soler is going to be on the market. If you were to trade for Jorge Soler, that's a different conversation now. Now Dubon's not playing left field because Jorge Soler is playing left field. Dubon and left is based on the current roster that you have, not based on what could be your roster when Jordan comes back, when Brantley, if he comes back, if you make a trade. Because that now it's a different conversation. It reshuffles the deck, and you have to see how it plays out after that. I think it is difficult if you trade for an outfielder. Like If you do get Brantley back, huge if, and then Jordan comes back as well, I think you have some difficult decisions to make 
if you trade for a left fielder and how you're utilizing the left fielder. That's why I think that a bat that they trade for, I think it might be a bench guy. I think it might be a bench Insurance guy that they're again. using as a Bly Madris. Like they used Bly Madris as the guy well, off the bench yesterday. I think that Dana Brown could trade for a bat that isn't necessarily a starter. I was just going to say, look, again, they've shown their hand that they like insurance policies. Mike Brantley could end up being your insurance policy, or he could end up being your starting left fielder. But they like to have the options, and they need to have better depth with more talent if this is truly going to be a team taking another run at a World Series. They're going to need, you know, depending on riding the hot hand, they're going to have to put their egos aside and understand there's going to be a time if a guy is really hot, he's going to stay in the lineup, and a guy that's a really talented hitter may be sitting down and be only being used in pinch-hitting situations until it sorts itself out. And again, because Michael Brantley is fragile, because we know Jordan is fragile, you, you like the insurance policy of having an extra capable everyday guy that might not be at playing every day because of how strong your lineup is. Are you guys surprised at the Astros with how bad the depth is on the roster that they haven't taken a flyer on like Will Myers or Eric Hosmer? Guys who have had past success but bad years, obviously, this year. Both have been DFA'd and cut outright. Like just sitting there, like I, I think they're better than Bly Madris. I, I think that from the standpoint of if it doesn't cost you anything, and we said this, I we have these conversations. I've said this about some of the pitchers too. Whether it started out with Mad Bum, but it, it more realistically was Plesac from Cleveland that you said, look, if it doesn't cost you anything and the guy might be capable of helping you, kick the tires. If those guys are free, why not get them in Sugarland? And if if they start hitting the ball. The same way they did a John Singleton, but with less on the line. Just go, hey, I'm going to go get one of these guys or two of these guys. Put them in Sugarland. They'll probably sell some tickets regardless, but they're, if they get back to start hitting the baseball, they're better than Madris. The answer is yes. Like, look at look at how Dana Brown has traded for these journeyman 4A pitchers that we have no idea who they are. Yeah, Why? The Orioles last year. Yeah, he's collecting emergency pieces just in case. There's two of them. He traded for a Reds guy, too. So, like, all of these little, you know, 4A guys that are basically career minor leaguers, he's already done that with the pitching staff. Why? Yeah, why aren't you kicking the tires on a, on a Will Myers, on an Eric Hosmer? Stick them down in Sugar land for two weeks and see if they're a better pinch hit role or well, pinch hitter even, than Bly Madris. Think about Hosmer even John first Singleton. Base. Like, John Singleton yeah. could be better than Bly Madris Let's right now it. today. Like, why is Bly Madris getting at bats at the big league level? He was literally let go by the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think Bly Madris's career, like, batting average in Major League Baseball. And he doesn't have a lot of at bats. Like, he actually does. He's 128 plate appearances in Major League Baseball combined with this year and last year. You want to guess what his batting average is in those 128 plate appearances? 073. A little bit better than that. 170. A 171. Okay. He's Martin Maldonado from the left side of the plate. Like, he shouldn't be in the big leagues. You're right. Hosmer should, we should be kicking the tires on Hosmer, kicking the tires on Myers. I'd rather see John Singleton up in the bottom of the seventh with the bases loaded and two outs last night than a Bly Madris. But I mean, Eric Hosmer, uh, you know, a seasoned veteran player that can play first base too for you if he starts hitting the baseball at all. But he gives you options and he doesn't cost you anything. And I'm sure he'd love to be playing for a winning team that you could bring off the bench or give a spot start if Abreu continues to fledgle along hot and cold. Why not look at him? I've been kicking around a uh, Justin Verlander trade. 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, they're like, you know, Verlander, something on Twitter I saw, and I was like, this isn't realistic. I really still don't think it's realistic. I don't think the Mets are going to be sellers, even though they probably should be. Like, it's not really in Steve Cohen's D- DNA we'll to see be a Stevie seller. We'll see talks today. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be a nothing burger. Like, we need to try harder. Um, I don't think that the Mets will be sellers. If they are, and we saw Max Scherzer, we saw a report earlier today, Max Scherzer could be willing to waive a no, uh, his no-trade clause at the deadline to the right team if Mets indeed are sellers. What if Justin Verlander is kind of in that conversation? What if the Mets want to shed some salary, they want some prospects in return, they just kind of want to press the reset button? What would be the level of intrigue for the Houston Astros to trade for Justin Verlander? I have a way here, too. Like, I don't want to take and absorb the entire $43 million. What if you shed the Rafael Montero contract in the process? So now your delta is $31 million. You're adding 43 of Verlander, but you're getting rid of 12 and a half of Rafael Montero. How about you trade Rafael Montero, Pedro Leon? I put this on Twitter a second ago. I might have, I might have oversold the package a little bit. But you trade Rafael Montero, get out of the contract, Pedro Leon, Spencer Arigetti, Jacob Melton for Justin Verlander. I think it's too much. I think that they're desperate enough to just get out from under it. I think that if you did one or two sweeteners along with Montero, I think that that's a deal that the Mets would be willing to accept. If I'm the Astros, I'm not willing to accept that deal. I have flexibility to go out and do whatever I want to do right now, and I am and I don't have any concerns about the last year of the think, Verlander deal. I don't think you have flexibility to do whatever you want because your system is not great. And maybe I want to prospect too much. Rafael Montero, Pedro Leon, Jacob Milton for Justin Verlander. I don't yeah. like it. I do that. I do that right now, and I'm usually a prospect guy. But I get out of the Montero contract. Yes, I add the Verlander contract, but Verlander has a sub-3.5 ERA in his last five starts. Looks a little bit more like vintage Justin Verlander. And I get that pitching isn't the problem for the Astros' best pitching ERA in baseball. I'd rather have Justin Verlander throwing every fifth day than Renel Blanco. Well... The other thing is now you've got an insurance policy and don't have to be as concerned with the need to get her Keedy back. Right. Now you your pitching staff looks like your starters are going to be playoff worthy at no matter who's healthy and who's not from the people that have been injured because you've got Verlander as a 1B to Fromber's 1A and then you still have Javier and Brown and now your bullpen gets better with the and erases the loss of Montero with other pitchers that can slide into the bullpen then to be available. Let's get Trade rid of Lance. the let's get rid of the Arigetti. You're not trading Lance. Let's get rid of the Arigetti thing. Montero, Leon, Jacob Milton for for Justin Verlander. I'm doing that. Yeah, like, I, I would do that too. Because you're like I understand it's only that you're a adding deal salary. With Verlander, right? Well, he's got a vesting option for a third, but it's like seventeen million dollars. Right. So it's forty three, forty three, and then like seventeen if he pitches enough innings next year. But you get out of the Montero deal. I, I'm not bullish on Pedro Leon. He's not, he doesn't hit for a high enough average for me in the minors that I've been bullish on him as a big leaguer. I'm curious about Jacob Melton, but he's in his second year in the bigs. Like, I'm making that trade. I'm doing that trade right now. What do you think? 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. All right, let's get into the latest Rocket rumors. Uh, a name that has been synonymous, has been linked to the Houston Rockets that apparently is no longer linked to the Houston Rockets. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5, doing just enough not to get fired. Looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately. I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees. 
Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Astro fans on the Twitter don't like the Montero, Leone, Arigetti, Melton for uh, Justin Verlander deal. Uh, there's a bunch of people in the comments. They're like, oh, I wouldn't do this if I'm the Astros. There's also a bunch of people in the comments saying, I wouldn't do this if I were the Mets. I want to do it because I want to get out of the Montero contract. I'd rather play. I'd rather pay the Verlander contract than the Montero contract at this point. What would you rather pay, Verlander or Montero's contract? Well, I think Verlander is the guy that you know. I mean, he knows for you know for multiple years. He's got the stuff that can get guys out, and it might be a little different than when you first signed him and and before Tommy John, and even when he the regular season after Tommy John, and we had concerns in the playoffs. But as bad as the Mets have been, like the other night, even against Milwaukee, he gives you, I think, six strong innings where he doesn't give up a run. And he leaves one nothing, And the relief pitcher coming in gives up a two-run bomb. And the next thing you know, they lose 2-1. to one. Not his fault. Still gave you a quality start. Shut down the other team. And his stuff capable of doing that. His numbers aren't through the roof bad either. He's capable still of pitching at a high enough level. I don't know that Montero is. You know I've been harping on this since they signed him to the deal. That all that it says to me is he had a career year last year. It doesn't say anything about him going forward and doing it again or even close. And now from what we've seen, there's even more doubt that he'll ever get it back again. So if you can get out from that disaster and at least know you're getting a usable, experienced piece like Verlander... That's something I'm going to consider. He's been pretty good lately. Verlander's been all right. Last five starts, he's got a 333 ERA. Is that Cy Young Verlander? No. no. But 333 ERA, you take that in the rotation, wouldn't you? Yeah. And he's even, also averaging a strikeout per inning in those last bad five their defense starts. Has been too. The Mets? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a disaster. Bad. A brutal disaster. There you go. Bring and, them back, baby. Bring the, thing the greatest with Justin, starting pitcher in Astros history back to the H. The thing with Justin Verlander is that like his problems versus Montero problems are almost good. Montero, it's you could lose any single game you want. Justin Verlander, his biggest problem is he's going to choke in the World Series. But you're still going to get to the World Series most likely with Justin Verlander in your rotation. Those are good problems to have. Just don't pitch him then. I would have... rather worry about Justin Verlander choking in the World Series than see Montero ever again in my life. Same. He yeah. stinks. Verlander's way more, obviously. But I'd rather, play, I'd rather pay the Verlander contract than the Montero contract. Easy. Easy. I mean, look, Easy. in Jim Crane... Get this golfing buddy back. Get this golfing. That's Everybody's big. happy. Everyone's happy. Verlander hates New York. Hates yeah, it there. I, I just think as much as it's far-fetched, I mean, you think about it and go, really, it's the best of both worlds for the Mets getting out of paying two guys 90-plus million dollars. Each guy pitches every fifth day on top of all the other contracts they have and underachieving the way they have. But if you take JV and put him back on this team, it's not been the defense that's been the problem. No, pitching hadn't been the problem either. And and you well, but di- pitching depth with all the injuries still number one in ERA. So, but I'm just saying. But if you add a guy like that to what they already have, but from his perspective, he's got a three plus or three whatever ERA. You said could be a lot lower if he had a better defensive team behind him and also gave him some run support to where his wins and losses might be different as well. That, I'm not that, talking that about- might be a problem. <laughs> the run support thing might be a problem for the Astros. Right, but I'm saying. Okay, if the, when when healthy, if you get Verlander back in the mix, I, the, the offense might be more productive than the Mets. Can he play first base? This Verlander guy. I don't. I don't think it's out of the. I don't think it's crazy to think the Mets might blow it up. I don't because like they've got no. some really bad contracts like that they can't get out of. I mean, Francisco Lindor's contract is 
is terrible. He's hitting like 215. Yeah, he's hit, yeah he's 226 this year. Last year he hit 270, but in 2021 he hit 230. He's been a, a below average, just very bad shortstop. A lot of bombs since he signed that massive deal. Like they've spent so much money, they're not winning. They're not going to win. They're never going to be better than the Atlanta Braves. I know Steve Cohen just bought his shiny new toy, and he thinks he can just spend billions of dollars. But at some point, he's going to wise up. And the first two, like the most valuable assets you have, might be JV and Scherzer. But the problem is, is if you don't move them this year, their value just keeps going down because they keep getting older. older. Yeah, like this is the moment. If I were the Mets, to blow it up and be like, "Yeah, man, we got to restart here. Yeah, we got to get rid of these two guys." I'm willing to give them three prospects: Leon, Arigetti, Melton. But you have to take on the the Montero salary, and I think they would. Like they're not worried about spending money. They're all they're spending all towards all sorts of money. All right, the the biggest name, eh, not the biggest, but one of the most popular names to join the Rockets in free agency has been Brooke Lopez. There are reports out there that it looks very likely Brooke Lopez is going to re-sign Milwaukee. So it does not look like the Rockets are going to get the Brooke Lopez to appease, you know, well, Ime Adoka. Uh, it's probably good news for Alpi Shingun because he doesn't have to go back to being on the bench. But it looks like Brooke Lopez is going to re-sign in Milwaukee and not join the Houston Rockets. Okay, I, I kind of saw that all along. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't think it was the right fit here. Although I think the Rockets would have benefited from having him, but like we talked about, it would have meant playing substantial minutes, which means your younger players were going to play less. And even when we talked about the rotation we would build with the three guys with Jabari and Brook and, and Shen Goon, I don't think it was ideal for the young guys, and I don't think it was totally ideal for Brook. And I think he wants to win. And I think that later in his career, if he can have his cake and eat it too and go to Milwaukee and stay with Milwaukee, play with Giannis, be a playoff team, be a top three team in the East, get money to go with the chance to win a championship, and he's comfortable there, I just think it makes the most sense. Yeah, I think it makes the most sense too. So Rockets probably have to look in a different direction for a big. This was an interesting one. Um, another rumor that is out there. from This is from a guy who reports on the Boston Celtics. Uh, his name is Chris Forsberg. You familiar with Chris Forsberg at all? I am not. He's a Boston Celtics reporter for NBC Boston. Okay. This one caught me off guard, Blankers. He says that Ime Adoka loves, interesting word there, loves the idea of adding Josh Primo to the Rockets. Why? I guess talent, cheap, get him for nothing. I'm sure he knows him a little bit, right? I don't know how he would know him. Was he in San? He wasn't in San Antonio whenever he was a rookie, was he? Mm, no. I mean, but coaching in the league, right? You look at you wouldn't know him personally, but you would know him right, around right, the league. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, knows like if scouting him and otherwise in advanced scouts, and when you're getting your game plans together, knowing everybody on the roster, you might know that he can play. I just that's not a name that I'm thinking of. Now, I mean, I, I thought you were going to say Robert Williams, and I'm like, okay, I'm sure nope. he would love to have Robert Williams on this team, bringing him close to home. He went to A and M, and he could be the shot blocking guy that. You know, can be a guy that works in with Alpi, and I, I'd be—I don't think he'd be bitching if he only played twenty some minutes a game, and he'd fit right in. Nope, not him. Uh, Josh Primo, who I mean, the guy was a lottery pick. He's a talented player. He was the twelfth pick of the draft in two thousand twenty-one. Now he's out of the NBA right now because of some sexual misconduct. Exposed himself to his therapist, which is not good behavior. That's, That's why it caught me kid. off guard. Like That's I haven't, I haven't heard Primo's name being circulated around the NBA until literally today when Chris Forsberg See, sent this tweet. And it says that Ime Adoka loves the idea of adding him. I don't know that that's a great headline. Um, I know. It's weird. 
I, I, I don't think the Rockets are in a position where they've got to like scratch the the surfaces of the earth in all corners to try and find a guy that might be able to be good for your roster. They have $60 million to play with. And they, there's plenty of guys out there that they could add to this roster that I don't know that Josh Primo's the guy that I'm thinking about as the, the guy. Now I could see the Lakers bringing him in. I could see teams that are cap strapped that go, we could get a young talented piece that made some missteps off the floor that maybe he's, re- he needs to resurrect his career and we need a more talented option in the, on the bench. Yeah, this is uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'm really not in favor of it. Like we already had Deshaun Watson in this city while this was all going on. Now Deshaun Watson did the same thing allegedly that Josh Primo did. Like Primo alleged to expose himself to his therapist, and Deshaun Watson alleged to expose himself to multiple massage therapists. So like there is precedent that guys that are athletes get second chances based on this type of things. But Deshaun Watson better relative to the NFL than Josh Primo was as a young player relative to the rest of the NBA. Talented player, probably cost you next to nothing. I was stunned to read this on yeah, Twitter I, earlier today. Again, I'm, I'm, out, I'm, I'm out. I'm because out. Because of Udoka's past too. I don't think this is the right look for the Rockets. I'm out on it. Yeah, I'm out on it. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Will of bits. We do it every every day at 2.30. What is the will going to tell us to talk about today? Not Joe. Joe. We're not puppets to Joe. What is the will going to have us talk about today? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. 97.5.com Fighter of the Night Man One is screaming He's so happy The other screaming A passionate shout It's the Night Man It's the Wheel of Bits On the Killer Bees Kibbles and bits Kibbles and bits I'm gonna get me some Kibbles and bits Who knows the bits The bees will begrudgingly bite Well let's find out Conspiracy theory On the Jeez. Here's Joel and Jeremy And Joe. Before we get into our Wheel of Bits I got I got got By NBA Sintel Apparently that was not a true rumor. Which which rumors are true? Never seen Primo's name. How come you guys just let me let me have that one? Yeah, I didn't click on the link that we posted in the rundown. Well, first because we trust you and respect you enough that you're going to bring something to the table that's valid. Yeah, at least I put things in the rundown. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's my bad. I'll eat that. I'll leave uh, that. That's an L for Branham. This has happened. It's an L for Branham. It's cool. It's fine. Uh, first time it's happened to us. Uh, there was one. That got Kendrick Perkins from the same account that said Jonathan Kaminga grew from six seven to seven two this oh, offseason, and he went on TV Man. with it and ran with it. The, what got me was that he actually like tagged the reporter. Yeah. that's what got me because I actually clicked on the reporter's name. I was like, oh, it's valid because the reporter's here. Yeah. I didn't realize he tagged it and made up things. Yeah. Normally, we get Man. not Santa to send us those, which is already a red flag, and then you realize it's probably not. A valid account. So there's Man. NBA Central. I don't like that he's tagging the real reporter's name. I don't know. That's either. messed up. That's Bush League. So there's NBA Central, which has 1.1 million followers and buys their blue check mark. Oh. And that one's legit. And I went they, for the Central. They, they, not Central. They more accurately aggregate news. This Man. person aggregates fake news. You got me. And we got got. I got got. All right. What does the will have for us today? Uh, conspiracy theory or not? Uh, Apparently, Steven Nelson, the Texans corner, oh yeah, uh, tweeted out that you can't trust people, is the nicest way I'll say it, <laughs> uh, that wear a vest every day. Ooh. I saw this. Like He posted on his Instagram like a picture of a vest and that yeah. you can't trust the guy who wears this every single day. 
I wonder. I mean, this is obviously a shot at Casario. We're all sure. we all agree it's a shot at Casario. Or Monty McNair. Does he know Monty McNair? No. So I'm it's saying, only- Monty McNair is the former Rocket employee that's the GM of the Kings. I've noticed that in the middle of summer he's wearing a down vest during his draft press conferences. I was like, oh, you know Nick Casario. So what is uh, what is his relationship to Stevie Nelson? That's what I'm saying. I'm kidding because I was but saying that I noticed Monty's doing the best thing too. How much is stock you put into this? Is this a conspiracy? Oh no, I think there's or is something it real? To it. I think there's something to He's it. Talked about hey, once a little contract yeah. extension. You know, we see guys that put out. I forget who recently just put out bad business, and then you start thinking, okay, of course you want to stir up a reaction. You want people to start guessing what that might mean, but it's also a subliminal way to send a message to who you're negotiating with, and I think that. There's probably something to this that he and his people probably went to Nick and said, we'd like more money. We'd like to stick around. We'd like to get a new deal done now. And he probably was not too open to discussing the terms and or the deal that they want to discuss. And he probably voiced it. Yeah, I think that I think it's real. I don't think this is a conspiracy at all. I think it's very real. Like, why else are you why, why are you posted that? Like, it's very clear. And he's deleted this, which I think that the deletion probably makes it more real. Yeah, right. Absolutely. The conspiracy. Because now it's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, he's probably underpaid considering where he's at in the NFL. That said, like at this stage of the of the offseason, you're not going to get yourself much of a raise. I think that this is obviously very, very real. This is a this is not conspiracy whatsoever. I'm kind of wondering how I would handle it if I'm Nick Casario. I think I play poker with him. Like if, if I'm Nick Casario, I'm not I'm not really in the business of extending Stevie Nelson. I think he's a good solid corner, but he's in his thirties. He's also somebody who's not a pillar piece for the right. Houston Texans. Right. Like I'm not re signing guys that aren't pillar pieces with a year still left on their deal. So if I'm Casario, I'm not at all going to even engage in contract talks with Stevie Nelson. I'm going to play poker with him. If he wants to show up to camp, he wants to play, cool. I got him on a final year of, of, of the deal. But he's probably not going to be a Houston Texan after 2023. I was going to say, going forward, he probably has more value to a team that is playoff caliber or more. To say, we need a vet. We need a guy that can still do it. We need a guy that's going to come in here and make us better just for the short term and not worry about it and probably be willing to overpay to get him a little bit. Whereas the Texans are knowing that at the end of this deal, they're going to be looking for another corner or they're going to look to keep continuing the, to build the youth movement to where he doesn't fit into their long-term plans or probably more than this year's plans. So if you want to give us a, a bargain basement deal and we give you one or two more extra years, maybe we'll talk about it. But other than that, I think that his best suited teams are going to, with the money he's looking for, or at least close to it, are going to be anywhere but the Houston Texans. Do You you don't think the Texans will be a playoff contender in 24? Because that's when he'd be a free agent, going into the 2024 season. I don't think they're going to be a contender. I think that they'll have a chance. Okay. Okay. If I'm Casario, I'm, I'm out on Nelson. Like, I, I'll, I'll let him play through his contract. I'm not going to redo his deal. I'm not giving him a bump. I'm not going to give him a raise. And as soon as he enters free agency, I'm washing my hands of Steven Nelson, to be quite honest with you. He's not good enough where he needs to be a problem in my locker room. He's not good. And I like Steven Nelson. I think he's fine I as he's a number been, two corner. Since he's been here, he's been better than I thought he yeah, could be. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I've, you've been on that for a long time, and I agree with everything that you say about Steven Nelson. He's fine as a, as a cornerback number two for the Houston Texans and in the NFL. 
he is not good enough where he's taking shots at the general manager on Instagram because he's unhappy about his contract. He's also going to be 30 years old this year. So if I'm Nick Casario, and I think that Casario is going to go this route as well, I'm out of the Steven Nelson business as soon as the 2023 season is over, and he might be an interesting name coming in an NFL trade deadline. Like, if you're out of the race, you want to get some of these youngsters some more reps, some more PT, somebody who's desperate for a cornerback, and I can flip them for a mid-round pick before his contract expires? I think Steven Nelson's days as a Houston Texan are numbered. Well, and plus, if Steven Nelson's agent calls to kind of assume that, I mean, to resume play, uh, conversations on any kind of contract or talks, Nick should bring this up and go, I don't know. I mean, are we going to be doing bad business? Because, you know, I was looking. I like him. I like what he's done here. But I don't like the fact that if you're going to put this stuff out in the media, this is the kind of thing that's going to really kind of burn a bridge. So, you know, you made a decision. We can make a decision to move on, too. But I do think you're right. I think that if he plays anywhere near he played a year ago, I think there will be uh, uh, some some playoff caliber teams that come calling before the deadline to try and strengthen their, their secondary. Do you have any interest in uh, Nelson going forward if you're in Nick Casario's shoes? Depends on what price. I think depending on what price, he can be a guy that you can move around that as he gets older, he can be one of your corners or you can you can bring him or move him around a little bit, but I don't I think going forward they're going to look to they're going to get their they're going to look for another corner in the draft or a younger corner that they're going to continue to build with for the long term. Do you just do you think this will move the needle at all for Casario? Like change his opinion of Nelson? I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna be looked at as a positive, but I don't think he means enough significantly for it to matter all that much to Nick. Nick can just go, you know what? Great. Uh he's not happy. Well, that's part of being a big boy in the NFL or in professional sports and realize it's a business. He probably shouldn't. Like, as a general manager, you probably shouldn't ride the wave of emotion of, like, guys being a little bit noisy, right? Like, you should be able to separate that from business. Um, I think Casario probably is that guy. Like, Casario never really strikes me as the type that it gets his feelings hurt and allows and, like, forces him to make rash decisions. I think, like, you, you point to the Deshaun Watson thing. Like, the Deshaun Watson thing could have very easily gotten personal. And Nick Casario kind of was able to lower the stress or the damage that that could have caused. Takes emotions out of nicely. it. Just yeah. deals with the situation at hand. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to be something that uh, Nick Casario kind of looks at. I don't think that they would have looked at Steven Nelson even after 2023, a 30-year-old, uh, especially now that he's being noisy. I think that uh, his days as a so Texan So I know done. now who did it, the bad, tweeted bad business. It was Josh Jacobs because Josh Jacobs is trying to negotiate a new deal with the Raiders. Josh Jacobs is a more significantly valuable piece that if he does that, if you're the general manager, you go, okay, I get it. He's a little upset but I'm still going to work and do whatever I can to bring him back. If Stevie Nelson does something on social media doing the same kind of thing, I don't think it's going to have nearly the same ramifications. No. Now, Jacob's thing is interesting because now you're talking about a running back and how much, like, But he knows he was basically their whole offense a year ago. No, you're definitely right. But they also didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Right. Then they franchise-tagged him. No one likes paying running backs anymore. Like I, I'm very interested to see how it plays out in Vegas with Josh Jacobs. I don't think they're going to give him an extension. And I feel that if Josh Jacobs doesn't get an extension, I think he's going to hold out. I think that he might because I think that he realizes from the standpoint of longevity, his career, and like you said, with just how devalued the running back position has been, 
he needs more than $10 million in case of injury and everything else. He's going to need a multiple-year deal with at least $10 million a year. And I don't know that the Raiders are going to be willing to give it to him. I don't know that there's any other NFL teams are. Because I think the last guy that absolutely did not give the return on investment, no matter how much you know, there were pe- people that thought he was worth it at the time. Aaron Jones signed a $12 million a year deal with the Green Bay Packers, and he hasn't been worth it. He's been good, and sure, there's a lot of other variables that go into it, but he's just the next example of a guy that you don't want to pay long-term at big money at the running back position. I think that all these guys, Barkley and and Tony Pollard and, and all Josh Jacobs and others, are in a very, very difficult situation because they can sign the tag, but it is very, very risky because they can get hurt. But if they're looking for that home run kind of a deal and all that kind of, and all that money, those days are over. Yeah, I don't think they're going to sign him. I mean, look at Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, they just cut him. He reportedly has an offer from the Dolphins right now. But even when he was healthy, like he was very productive with the Vikings, and no one is like rushing to sign him right now. Like if Saquon Barkley was a free agent, like what was his what would his value really be on the open market? I mean, he, as talented as he is, he's been hurt so much that that really hurts his overall value, too. Yeah, people just don't respect the running But back I think position. when you looked at because I was thinking about this this morning with the Minnesota situation. Like, Dalvin Cook, when they're trying to cut salaries because they've given out a lot of money over the years, but they look at it and say, hey, not only as, as productive as he has, has been, not only are we on the hook for a lot of money that really puts us in a tough situation, but we know we can go out and get a couple of other running backs that as long as our offensive line stays fairly intact, can do at least some one of the things Dalvin, Dalvin Cook could do. But the main thing is he they can do it for a whole hell of a lot less money. Yep. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line. Uh, what's the Wilhouse going to talk about today? Uh, what do you think about the Stephen Nelson thing? Who's more likely to hold out, Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs? It's the Killer Beast on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 975.com. If you want in, you have to audition. Hi, I'm Carrie Dubeck, and I'm reading for the role of Man at Party Who Smells Fart. Suavemente, besame. Hey Houston, you're live in the hive with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Christian Javier on the mound today. This immediately puts you in a good mood, doesn't it? This is is such a good mood song. Absolute best. Javier trying to get things going. Hasn't hasn't been great lately. Hadn't been great. His numbers are fine, seven one three twenty five ERA, but it's not like the dominant Christian ex- Javier yeah. that we thought he would be. You expected him to kind of piggyback off of last year in the playoffs and go, he is in for a monster season, and it just hasn't materialized. And he's coming off his worst start, where he couldn't get out of what, the third inning. He went like two and a third in his last start. Yep. Not ideal for Christian Javier. Maybe he'll get it going today. Yeah, he went two and a third, gave up four runs in his last start. Maybe he'll get it going against St. Louis well, if you're going to get against get going against somebody, it damn well better be St. Louis. And then yep. I think that's what Fromber was thinking last night, and it backfired. The uh, outside of the middle of the order, like that lineup doesn't scare you. Like Goldschmidt, Arenado, right. and then that's kind of it. Like nothing else really scares me in that lineup. But the young kid's been a 300 hitter for his first season and a half, two seasons in the league. Oh, you're talking about Walker. Walker. I think he's yep. going to be a really good player. I think so too. I think he's going to be a good player. They kind of they sent him down a month ago and then brought him back up because they have kind of a crowded outfield. But he's probably their best outfielder. 
Uh, kind of weird. But let's see if Javier gets it uh, going. The Astros trying to avoid back-to-back losses, trying to avoid the series defeat out of the out of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, sad news from the NFL. Uh, Cedric Killings, a former Texan, had a fractured neck. Terrible there. Uh, he passed away recently at the age of 45 with a pancreatic cancer. And then Ryan Mallett. Yeah, Mallett drowning shocking. yesterday at the age, in his mid-30s. 35. That's mid thirties. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, some people said thirty six. <laughs> some people said thirty five. You always got those for me, but okay, fine. <laughs> just right in the middle. Um, that's sad news, though. Yeah, I mean, and he didn't have his greatest performances here, and a lot of people obviously had a lot of issues with him and his alarm clock and other things. But yeah. you never want to see a story like that. The guy's done with football. You're hoping he's living his best life, and then tragedy like that strikes, and that sucks. Yeah, it shows you how precious life is, right? Uh-huh. You didn't have you know the best NFL career, and like you said, the, some of the stuff that came out with uh, with him during his playing day, hard knocks, all of that. But first touchdown pass was the JJ, right? JJ Watt. Was that his first one? I don't yeah. know if that was his first one. That was JJ's first one. I think it was one. Mal's first one. I saw that yesterday, too. That's amazing. Like, of all the players who give your first ever touchdown pass to, it's JJ Watt. Yeah, I knew it was JJ's first touchdown pass. I didn't know that it was Mal's, but JJ was tweeting about the tragedy yesterday. Yeah, that's scary. It was a riptide, right? Yes, yes. That's terrifying. That was I, just, the, I mean, that was um, who was the running back for the the Browns? I'm trying to think. Peyton of. Hillis. Peyton Hillis. His story, which he was trying to save, his was his niece, his nephew, and then his kids, and he was able to save all of them. And then he almost lost his life, but was able to to survive miraculously. Uh, look, you think a lot of the different tragedies, and some of them are obviously surrounding water, but just other things where guys try to do. I think the Chiefs had two. I think they had Derek Thomas, who tried to help somebody, and then he passed away. And they had a running back who I want to say possibly played college ball here in Texas, but was trying to do a good deed and good Samaritan and save someone. I think it was save kids and ended up either drowning or tragically losing his life. Those are the heroes. Oh, no question. Those are the heroes. But that's uh, sad news. uh, Sad news there. Uh, Ocho saying on the Twitch. Uh, talking about Javier, I was saying, I remember Javier throwing ninety four, ninety five last year. Actually, he said this. I remember him throwing ninety four, ninety five last year, occasionally touching ninety six, ninety seven. His, his velo is a little bit down, down. Mm-hmm. and then like some of the advanced baseball savant stuff says, like the movement isn't quite what it was. Uh, interested that, by that, I, I wonder what could be the cause. Because I mean, Javier is not old by any stretch of the imagination. He's in his mid twenties. So. Wear and tear. I mean, he's had a, he's you know he he's pitched a lot of innings. He's He's done a lot of things with the long playoff runs um, and being counted on as much as they counted on him in the last year. To be tired. Where, yeah, I mean, we saw it with Luis Garcia. Look, it was highlighted over and over again, and everybody kept saying, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, he's pitched the most innings he's ever pitched in his entire professional career on the big league level with the Astros. Oh, you know, he's young. It'll be fine until it isn't. And whether it, you know, God forbid, any kind of major surgeries on the horizon or anything like that. But look. When you throw that many innings in a major league game with that much wear and tear on your arm, sometimes it, it can take a toll like that. Yeah, WBC too. You know, that, that's the exactly WBC. right. It's a great point. That's about, another thing. Pitch clock too. Like whenever you have to feel like you're almost racing to throw a pitch, it, I think it probably fatigues you a little bit more. I think the, I think that's Alec Manoa's biggest thing right now. I think now. there needs to be a deeper dive into, from a pitching perspective, how much the pitch clock has negatively affected a lot of pitchers in baseball. I think it has negative effect for some and then positive effect for others. I think that's valid, but I think that you talk about guys. So we know that when Fromber was able to walk around the mound and re- gather himself and really take extra time when needed, that he was a different kind of pitcher. 
We know that Garcia changed his entire delivery and got rid of Rock the Baby because of the rule changes in baseball. I'm just I'm just curious how many pitchers feel like that's been a detriment to how they go about their their business. Fromber's been better this year than last year, though. So I think that it's case but you by know what case. I'm talking about. It's not like the body of work for a full game. It's those key situations where he's able to, you know, step step off the rubber and step walk around the mound, gather himself, calm his nerves because we know he's an emotional player. Yeah, the the nerdy stats on Javier last year he was averaging on his fastball like a hair under 94. Now he's like almost a half a mile under 93. So he's dropped about a little bit over a mile per hour on his fastball. And then like his spin rate stuff, last year it was 2350, this year it's 2243. Like it's it is noticeable. His whiff rate, 27% last year on his fastball. This year it's under 26%. So interesting. But his slider is getting more whiff rate than last year. So who knows? Maybe he can get it uh, going on track today. I've not seen the Astros lineup today. They were late yesterday because of Altuve. I hope they're I'm not sure, late on Altuve again. But I'm sure that's probably playing into it yeah. as well. They said he was going to play, or they said he's good. Well, to play. but Jeff Bagwell yeah, also said, said stuff like that, that uh, Michael Brown would be ready for opening. He did say that. Yeah. It's only his guide shoulder. Yeah, it's no big deal. It's only his guide shoulder. He's going to be fine. Nothing if, to see here. Don't worry about it. Maybe the Astros will get it going. We'll see. What's the uh, What's the Willies? What are they going to lead off their show with today? Boy, I I think it's going to be the delicacy that can be created by combining multiple sauces from fast food restaurants. All right, here we go. <laughs> I've been trying really hard to get better at these for you, Jeremy. Yeah. Jose Altuve's heel is hurt. Who is the Achilles heel of the Houston Texans? <laughs> well done, Joe. He dropped the pen. Oh, Not the mic. He dropped the I, pen. I think that's really good. Although, it's his heel injury. Not an Achilles heel? Same thing. Maybe nitpick it? a little bit? No, it's not. Why? A heel Altuve's and heel and maybe Kaimi Fairburn's plant foot heel have been... Very, very drastically bothering his delivery. The, same thing. the heel is here. The this Achilles, is, the Achilles heel Achilles is, is heel. The tendon that goes from the heel up yeah. the back of the I leg. The heel mean, is the bottom like, of the it's foot. A heel right. injury. Achilles heel and heel injuries are. Joe, e for effort. You gave it a good. Yeah, it's go. good. I feel but like I'm, this I'm is like semantics I'm, right I'm, now. I'm, I'm not going to give you a ten. I'm going to give you a nine. Thanks. I'm going to ding you one point because a heel and an Achilles heel are two different things. All right. right. That's absolutely fair. Yeah, the Achilles heel is right here. I still got a nine. I'll take it. Yeah, nine's really good though. I think that they're going to. That wasn't Bush League like you do to us. Man, what was what? I? Yeah, well, I don't know what they're going to lead off with, man. I'm, 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 uh, I'm stunned. They're going to lead off about how the Texans' skill position won't be 32 in the NFL this year. It's going to be 31. Oh. And because they're 31, not 32, they're going to win 10 games in 2023. All right, it does it for us. Thanks to Joe George for doing all the hard work. He's blank. I'm Branham. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Houston. The Wheelhouse is next on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. You found ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I can feel it. I can feel it all the way down in my plums, getting all swollen with a light blue hue to them, fresh and juicy, ready for the picking.